Here's a look at what's going on this week at Abundant Life. It's time for our 30th anniversary celebrating God's faithfulness to ALCF and three years of pastoral leadership by Pastor Brian Loritz. This special event takes place on Sunday, March 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. in the sanctuary and features guest speaker Bishop Ulmer and the choir from Faithful Central Bible Church in Los Angeles, as well as our annual Servant Leader Award. If you're ready to make a positive impact on your community, we've got two great events for you. The Real Options 5K Walk for Life is a life-affirming annual event that fosters a culture of life benefiting thousands of mothers, families, and students. The event takes place on Saturday, March 9th at 8.30 a.m. at the Marshall Cottle Park in San Jose, and you can sign up to volunteer or sponsor a participant after service or at friendsofrealoptions.net. ALCF is partnering with Westgate Church to bring you Beautiful Day, a wonderful opportunity to serve people in need throughout the Santa Clara County through acts of kindness and compassion. The event takes place on March 23rd in various locations throughout the county, and you can sign up after service in the lobby on either March 3rd or March 10th. Want to be a better parent or spouse? If so, we've got two can't-miss events for you. The next Art of Parenting movie night features Like Arrows, which casts a powerful vision for anyone in a parental role, married or single, reminding us that nothing is more important for any family than to have God and His Word directing our lives. This event takes place on Saturday, February 16th from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. Don't miss God's plan for marriage, a marriage enrichment workshop in which the Harveys will lay a foundation for the big picture of marriage. This event takes place on Sunday, February 17th from 12 to 2 p.m. Child care is available for both of these events with advanced registration. If you're ready to up your food game, be sure to join us for a nutrition education cooking demo. You'll learn how to develop healthy eating habits, cook healthy meals, and modify recipes to ensure you're eating right. This event takes place on Sunday, February 24th from 11.30 to 1.30 p.m. Here's the lineup for Equipment Center classes beginning in March. If you're looking to get the most out of your Bible studies, sign up for How to Read and Study the Bible, taught by Jason Johnson. The classes take place on Sunday starting March 3rd through April 7th from 12 to 1.30 p.m. In the New and Better Promises class, taught by elders Arshel Founet and Keith Richardson, we'll unpack the Lord's commitments and assurances to us as believers in Jesus Christ. The classes take place on Sundays starting March 10th through May 5th from 12 to 1.30 p.m. There are over 2,300 references to money in the Bible, but to better understand God's financial plan for our lives, join us for Managing Our Finances God's Way. The Financial Stewardship Team will guide you through an informative DVD series and share personal experiences about creating a spending plan, investing, the meaning of debt, and planning ahead using free, easy-to-use online tools. The classes take place on Sundays starting March 17th through April 14th from 12 to 1.30 p.m. Child care is available for all three of these classes with advanced registration. To sign up for any of these upcoming events, go to alcf.net slash signups or check out the ALCF app. And remember, Abundant Life exists to make a better you for a better world. And now, Father God, that is indeed the cry of our hearts. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And you are not welcome. We invite, just welcome, we invite you into this place. We pray that you would fill this room. We thank you, God, 
that you have given us your word. We thank you, God, that we live in a country where we can assemble freely to hear it. And now, God, I pray that your word would go out. I pray that hearts would be open to receiving it. I pray that I would disappear and only you would be seen. Speak through me, I ask. Let it be your words, not mine. And we ask that you would bless us in this moment to understand what you would have us learn today. And not just what we should learn in our head, but how it should affect how we live. We ask all these things in the blessed name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, our text today is Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. Revelation 21, 1 to 5. I'll give you a minute to get there. It's all the way at the end. <laughs> Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God." He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was early in the morning. The year was 1952. A 33-year-old woman named Florence Chadwick stepped into the cold Pacific waters off the shore of Catalina Island. She was about to attempt a swim from Catalina Island to the California shore. Now, she already was the first woman who had swam the English Channel both directions. As she set out that morning, she was surrounded by boats that were there, number one, to look out for sharks, number two, to provide help and support if she needed it. Fifteen hours into that swim, which was 26 miles, a thick, thick fog descended on the ocean. The fog was so thick, she could not see the boats that were there to support her. Freezing and exhausted, she yelled out to her mother, who was in one of the boats. She said, I don't think I'm going to make it. And a voice in the fog came back, you're almost there. You can make it. Just under 16 hours into that swim, she gave up. She was too cold. She was too tired. And she was hauled into one of those boats. Where she found out she had swam over 25 miles and was less than a mile from the California coast. At a news conference the next day, she said this, All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. 
I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. How many of us feel like life is like Florence Chadwick's swim? It's this, it's this crazy, crazy journey through freezing cold, shark-infested waters, and all you can see is fog. Today we're going to talk about eternity. We're going to talk about heaven. We're going to talk a little bit about hell. We're going to talk about the shore that we're all swimming towards. But here's the problem that we have, is that if this, if I can just be honest, this is a safe space, when most of us think about eternity, when we catch a glimpse of the shore through the fog, we don't get that excited about what we see. Right? I mean, a lot of us think, boy, I hope God doesn't call me home soon because there's a lot of things I'd like to do here before this life ends. When we think about heaven, we have these vague, unclear assumptions about what it's actually going to be like. Are we just going to hang out on clouds, playing harps? Is it going to be one long church service with no football game to look forward to after? Like today? If so, that sounds kind of boring. If that's what eternity is, now look, better than hell, right? I mean, I'll take that over hell, but we don't get super excited about what we know about eternity. In the moments we have together today, I'm going to do my best to help you get a better view of heaven because heaven is going to be awesome. For those of you who know me, you know that I use the word awesome way too much, and I use it for things that I shouldn't use it about. But I mean it when I say it today. Heaven is awesome. And my hope when we leave here today is that we have a clearer view of what Scripture says. Because our problem is not that Scripture doesn't talk about it. Our problem is that we don't pay good attention to what Scripture says about eternity. And when we pay attention to what it says, the picture that is painted is awesome. We are in the midst of our... February series here called the Fantastic Four. If you're new with us or visiting with us today, let me just frame that for you. Back in December, Pastor Brian set up a, a place on our website where you all, the congregation, could come and ask for what topics you would like to hear us preach on in the month of February. The top four responses are what we're preaching on this month. So normally at this church, we practice what we call expository preaching, which means we take big chunks of scripture and we work through it in sequence book of the Bible, start with chapter 1, go to chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, so on and so forth. This month is a little bit different in that we're going to be doing topical sermons. But hear me when I say this, still rooted in Scripture. Every sermon we preach is going to be based on what God says, not what our opinions are. It's just going to be different this month because we're doing topics. Last week, Brian preached on politics. Phenomenal message. If you were not here, I urge you to go and check that out. He's preaching the next two weeks. Like the good boss that he is, he took all the hard ones and let me have the really fun one. Next week, he's going to talk about truth. How can we know it? What is it? You're going to want to be here for that. And in two weeks, he's going to talk about our friends in the gay community. What does God have to say about it and how do we interact with and love them well? You're not going to want to miss that one either. Today, we're talking about eternity. We're going to answer three questions as we look at the idea of eternity in heaven. The first one is this, where will we spend eternity? The second one is this, who will we spend eternity with? The third one, what will eternity be like? 
Where will we spend eternity? Who will we spend eternity with? And what will eternity be like? If I can just uh, be very honest with you, about three weeks ago, the person that I just described was me. Having studied for this sermon has been an amazing experience. And I have been tremendously helped, and I'm going to borrow liberally from it for this sermon, by a book by a pastor uh, and scholar named Randy Alcorn, and it's called Heaven. If by the time we're done here, you're thinking, man, I'd like to learn a little bit more about what the Bible has to say about heaven, cannot recommend that book uh, high, more highly. Heaven by Randy Alcorn uh, totally transformed the way that I look at eternity, and my hope is to give you just a flavor of that in the few minutes that we have together today. Now, finally, before we get to the text, we are in uh, the midst of a year-long theme, which is Bay Area Lighthouses. We want this church to be a Bay Area lighthouse. We want all of you who attend this church to go back to your communities and be lighthouses. And this topic that you asked us to talk about could not be more appropriate when you think about the topic of being a lighthouse. It comes from Matthew 5 where Jesus tells his disciples, you are the light of the world. What does a lighthouse do? It points people in the right direction. How can we point people in the right direction if we don't know where we're going ourselves? So we need to have a good theology of eternity because our life here is just a blip and eternity is a really long time. And we need to be able to point people to what eternity is going to look like and be like if we can't, we can't do a good job being a lighthouse. So totally fits with our theme. We ready? Let's go. Before we get to, back to our text, I need to frame one thing about eternity for us that will help us understand what we're seeing in Revelation chapter 21. And this uh, this might blow a few minds because it, it kind of blew, blew my mind a little bit when I, when I learned about this. Do you know that Jesus is coming back? He is. You could miss the first time he came back, or the first time he came, rather. He came as an infant in a manger. Scripture makes it clear you're not going to miss the second time that Jesus comes. What happens between now and when Jesus comes back? That's what I want to talk about just for one minute. Scripture is clear. If you are in Christ, when you die, you go to heaven immediately. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, what does he say? Today, today, today you will be with me in paradise. The Apostle Paul in several of his writings says essentially to be apart from the body is to be present with the Lord. But get this, and this is, this is what kind of blew my mind. It is not the final heaven that you go to. You go to a place that theologians call temporary heaven or present heaven. It's critical for us to understand what we're going to see in our text. Don't hear me saying purgatory. It is not a place where your, your life hangs in the balance, eternity hangs in the balance, there's no judgment. It is heaven. It is, it is no sin, no death, presence of Jesus. But that is where we stay until Jesus comes back. And listen to what Paul tells us, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, about the second return of Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. You're not going to miss it, because he's coming on the clouds with the blast of a trumpet, and what happens? Those who are died in Christ are bodily raised. This is so critical because when we think of heaven, so many of us think of this disembodied, 
spiritual realm, but that is not what Scripture teaches. We are raised bodily. The Bible tells us that we share in Christ's resurrection. He was resurrected to a physical body, and so will we. God made us body and soul. They are not separated for eternity. So when Christ returns, just I don't want to beat the dead horse, we are physically raised. With me? Great. And then we will see what John describes in our text. So first question we're going to answer, where will we spend eternity? Look with me back at our text. We'll see the answer in verses 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. What is he saying? What is he seeing? He is seeing heaven and earth come together. He is seeing the beginning of our eternal dwelling place. I had a friend from seminary staying with us last weekend, and we were talking about this sermon, and he said someone told him once that we don't actually go to heaven. God brings heaven to us. And that is what John is seeing happen here in our text. Now, we've got to talk about this word, new. shows up four times in the five verses of our passage. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, and then down in verse 5, God says, I am making all things new. The Greek word that's used here is kainos. And we need to understand something about the, what kainos means. Kainos does not mean new as in a time frame. Kainos does not mean recent. Kainos means new as in fresher. New and improved. New and better. And this blesses me because when I do stupid things, and I do a lot, and my wife says she needs a new husband, what I understand that to mean is she's not need a different husband, she needs a kainos Gary, a new and fresher Gary. And so we're working towards that. But the point is this, it is so critical. It is so critical to get this because we don't do a good job of teaching this in, in evangelical Western Christianity. The earth continues. Just like our bodies are redeemed, God is going to redeem his creation. And the Apostle Paul tells us as much in the book of Romans. Look with me at Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 23, and listen to what he says. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This earth is not going to hell in a handbasket. It is going to be redeemed. God made us for a place. And the place he made us for is earth. And in some way, we are going to, those in Christ, are going to live forever in physically resurrected bodies in a physical place, a lot like the place we live in right now. Tracking with me? Not everyone agrees. (laughs) 
One of the commentators that I read in preparing for this sermon said this about John saying new earth in our passage. He said, John called it a new earth, but that's only because he didn't know what he was looking at, and he just used the word earth because he didn't know what else to describe it. That might be the case, but imagine this. Imagine that you went to work or school tomorrow, and a coworker or a classmate or a friend came up to you and said, I had the most amazing vision over the weekend. And you were like, really? <laughs> What'd you see? And they were like, I saw the brand new 2020 Ford F-150. <laughs> Those aren't out yet, right? No. Well, I guess here it'd be, I saw the 2020 Tesla Model X. <laughs> and then you'd be like, amazing. What did it look like? And then imagine they go like this. Oh, it was incredible. Had two wheels, like real skinny tires. It had a seat that you could sit on and like handlebars that you held. And it had these pedals that you put your feet on and that's how you made it go. It was amazing. You would be like, so you saw a bike. <laughs> and then if they're like, yeah, well, I just, I don't know what a bike is, so I called it a truck. That's kind of the argument that people make about this. Now imagine that you said, tell me about that. What did it look like? And they said, it was amazing had four wheels, huge all-terrain tires. It had a bed in the back with a tailgate that opened and shut. It had four doors on the cab, a sunroof, huge gleaming V12 engine. But it was bigger and brighter and more beautiful than any truck I had ever seen. You'd be like, yeah, you saw a truck, but you saw a Kynos truck. And I know a lot of you are looking at me with this flannel and beard and being like, that guy's into trucks. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Do you get the picture? I think John called it a new earth in Revelation chapter 21 because it looked just like the earth that he'd been living on for his whole life, but it was newer and better and fresher and brighter. So what this passage is saying is that the earth continues. What does that mean for us? If this, is, if this all is not going to hell in a handbasket, what does that mean for us? If, earth if the earth continues, when I was in college, one of my favorite movies was uh, Russell Crowe's Gladiator. I had the movie poster up on my wall. And why do people put movie posters on their wall? I, it's, you do weird stuff when you're in college. But the tagline on that, that, for that movie says this, what we do in life echoes in eternity. That's good theology. Because if this isn't all going to hell in a handbasket, if there is some kind of continuity from this life to the next, what that means is that what we do in this life matters in eternity. So often in the Western evangelical Christian church, we adopt a lifeboat theology. Hey, let's get as many people into the lifeboat as we can because this ship's going down and we just want to be saved for heaven. That is not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that the creation is going to be renewed just like our bodies. And there is a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're not going to go there for the sake of time. But Paul tells the church in Corinth that the things you do for God in this life will be rewarded in eternity. That should radically reorient how we spend our time, our talent, and our treasures here on earth. Because listen, when you watch your neighbor's kids because they have an unexpected doctor's appointment, when you bring a sick coworker a meal, when you read the Bible to your kids at night, 
when you serve in Safari Kids or when you clean dishes after an event that we have here, when you share your faith with someone, those things in some way live forever. But what that same passage in 1 Corinthians tells us is that not everything lives forever. Our beamers don't live forever. Our $200 skinny jeans don't live forever. (laughs) Our kitchen remodels don't live forever. Our Hawaiian vacations don't live forever. And I am not saying any of those things are bad. But the fact that what we do for God, and we are not preaching in this church a works-based salvation. We, We are saved by grace alone. But the Bible is clear. The things we do in this life for God live on into eternity. So we should be rich in doing things for God. Amen. I can't, I I cannot move on to our second question without addressing one more topic, and it's a topic I wish I didn't have to address. We cannot talk about where will we spend eternity without talking also about hell. Hell is not the topic to preach on if you want to grow a church, especially if you want to grow a church quickly. It's really not the topic to preach on if you're the associate who only gets to preach a few times a year and you want people to tell you afterwards how much they enjoyed your sermon. I would be totally failing in God's call on my life if I preached a sermon on eternity and didn't talk about hell. Just like the Bible teaches that heaven is a real place, that people are going to live forever Hell is a real place of some kind of eternal torment and even worse, eternal separation from God. I, I, I hate the idea of hell. I, I hate the reality of hell. But I cannot impose on God the way I think he should do it. I am to be imposed on by God the way that it is. 1 Timothy 2 tells us that God desires that all would be saved but not all will be saved. I am not going to turn this sermon into a scare you out of hell sermon, but it is real. And if you are not sure if you were to die this afternoon where you would go, do your business with God today. At the end of the sermon, there will be a group of people down here in front waiting to pray for you. If you don't know where you would go if you would die, I urge you to come down and speak with one of them because they would love nothing more than to share with you how you can be certain that you will spend eternity in heaven. When we know God, when we know how perfect and glorious and righteous he is, it should not shock us that he sends anyone to hell. What should shock us is that he lets anyone into heaven. But he does. For those who are covered by the blood of Jesus, he welcomes them into heaven. And you can be welcome into heaven along with everyone else who sits under the blood of Jesus. So, where will we spend eternity? There are two options. Really just two options. Heaven or hell. And if it's heaven, it is a physical place with physical bodies that has echoes and memories and continuity of what happened in this life. With me? Let's let's go to question number two. Question number two. Who will we spend eternity with? We see the answer to this in verse 3 of our text. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. 
Who will we spend eternity with? God. God. Amen. Now, um, as some of you are saying, thanks, Captain Obvious. <laughs> like any good preacher, I can take a one-word answer and talk for 15 more minutes on it. And so that's what I'm about, about to do. There is, there is nothing, there is no idea of the reality of heaven that is more important than the fact that we will be in God's presence. Whether you recognize it or not, every longing of your heart is for God. And we will spend eternity with the one that our heart longs for. I want to talk about this word dwell that shows up several times in this verse. Some of you will have a footnote that, that notes that that can be translated tent or tabernacle. God will tabernacle with his people. And that is a direct allusion all the way back to Exodus. When God calls, when God saves and redeems the Israel, Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he commands Moses to build a tent, a tabernacle. They carry that tent with them through the desert for 40 years. It is the location of God's physical presence on earth. It is where Moses goes to meet with God. When they get to the promised land, they set it up in Shiloh. When they get Jerusalem, it becomes the temple and God's presence dwells in the temple. And John in his gospel tells us in the first chapter that the word of God dwelt among us. Same word that is used here in our text. The word of God tabernacled among us. So when Jesus came, he was the physical embodiment of God's presence on earth. And what John is telling us in this passage is that unlike the Exodus, unlike Jesus, both of those were temporary. This will be a permanent dwelling with God. And that will fulfill the absolute longing of our heart. Do you remember back in the Exodus period when Moses is receiving all the instructions from God for what the Israelites are to do and how they're to live in a moment of great boldness? Do you remember what Moses asks God? He says, show me your glory. Exodus 33, I want to see you. Up to this point, you've just talked to me through fire, uh, through a cloud. I want to see your face. And what does God tell him? He says, you, you can't see my face, but here's what I'll do. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I will pass by you. As I do, I will cover you with my hand. I'll remove it as I pass, and you can see my back. Now, scholars, scholars think several things about why God did that. One thought is that Moses, as a finite, sinful, unrighteous human, to see the holy, pure, righteous God would have been consumed. So that's possible. There's another thought that I just find so beautiful. There's another thought that God knew that Moses in his finite state could not look upon the object that he most desired and handle it. Some of you might have to go back a little ways for this. Do you remember what it was like when you first started dating your husband or your wife or your spouse? When Beth and I went from friends to more than friends, I was a mess in a, in a good way. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, and I'm not the kind of guy who doesn't like to eat. When I was around her, my heart rate would go up, I would fumble over my words, I would pick at my food, I couldn't think clearly, all because of the effect of being in the presence of the object of my desire had on me. That is a drop in the bucket when we think about what eternity with God is going to be like we will spend eternity with the one 
who is the consummation of every longing and desire of our hearts. So what does that mean for us today? I think it means two things, and they're the the flip sides of the same coin. The first is this. If God is the true longing of our heart, we are not meant to find satisfaction here. So take comfort if, if as you have journeyed through life, there's this gnawing sense of, this is not what I expected. This is not what I was hoping for. I am not feeling fulfilled. You're not supposed to. Christian counselor and author Larry Crabb says it this way, if you feel a groaning as you go through life, that's a sign of spiritual maturity. C.S. Lewis says it this way, if you find that nothing in this world satisfies, maybe it's because you were made for a different world. So be encouraged today if you are sensing a lack of satisfaction because you're not supposed to find it here. Now, the other thing that means for us, the flip side of that coin is, stop trying to find your satisfaction here. You can't and you won't. Every longing, every desire of our heart is a signpost to heaven. It is a sign pointing us to God. Whatever it is that we are longing for, whether we, we are looking at sex, food, money, power, love, acceptance, comfort, security, those are all lesser desires that will never ultimately fulfill us because we find all of those things in God himself. You can't find satisfaction here, so stop trying to. We are constantly building our lives on the things that will not survive into eternity at the cost of the things that will survive into eternity. Where will we spend eternity? In heaven, if we're in Christ. Who will we spend eternity with? God. And then finally, what will eternity be like? We're going to find the answer to this in verses 4 and 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What will eternity be like? It will be perfect. If the world continues, if the earth continues in some way, and we're resurrected in bodily form, and we continue in that place for eternity, it will include all of the things we love about this place and not include all of the things we hate. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. There's not going to be sickness There's not going to be death. We're going to have bodies that don't grow old and don't decay. But here's where we get tripped up. A lot of us like some things about earth. A lot of us like some things. Some of us like a lot of things about this place. And here's what is such an encouragement to me, such a blessing to me. I think a lot of those things are going to continue into eternity. A lot of people are like, I love pizza. But I don't know if there's going to be pizza in heaven. I think there's going to be pizza in heaven. A lot of people are like, I love to fish. I think there's going to be fishing in heaven. A lot of people are like, I, I, love to go, I love to travel. 
I think we're going to travel in heaven. A, a lot of people, for a lot of people, the most satisfactory thing they have in their life is relationships. And a lot of people, when we think about heaven and this disembodied spiritual realm, we can't picture relationships. But if we're in physical bodies like we're in now, and our names continue, our names are written in the book of life. What names are those? I think the names that your mom and dad gave you. So people are going to recognize each other, and we're going to live in community with each other. We're going to do work. The Bible says we'll work, and it won't be hard. It'll be fulfilling and life-giving, and we'll actually find rest in our work. Here's, what, here's, here's, here's where we miss out on the picture of heaven compared to where we're at today. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I was late to the game, I watched the first season of Stranger Things on Netflix. Couldn't watch that stuff at bedtime because I couldn't fall asleep after I watched it. For those who haven't seen it, Stranger Things is a science fiction story about a small town in Indiana where a portal inadvertently gets opened up into a parallel realm. That parallel realm is called the upside down. And here's the thing. It looks just like the right side up world. Streets are the same. Buildings are the same. Trees are in the same places. But it's dark. There's no sun. There's these crazy evil creatures that live there. There's this weird mossy stuff that floats through the air and grows on everything. It looks just like the real world, but it's a shadow land. What we don't recognize is that we are living in the upside down. We are living in the shadow land of what is supposed to be. And when Jesus returns and raises us bodily, we go through the portal from the shadow land to the real world with the sun shining brightly and the green grass and the clouds and the mountains. We, we love this world because it's all that we know. Some of us love this world. Some of us don't love this world, and that's okay. But when we get to the other side, we're going to look back on this and feel like it was just dark and dreary. It was the upside down because now we will be living in the right side up. Heaven will include all of the things we love without any of the, the things that sin has brought into the world. Uh, I, I can't explain it better than this, and so I'm just going to read it for you. At the, the last scene of the Chronicles of Narnia series, C.S. Lewis describes the main character's arrival into the real Narnia, which, spoiler, it's heaven, this way. Just listen to these words. Listen, Peter. When Aslan said you could never go back to Narnia, he meant the Narnia you were thinking of. But that was not the real Narnia. That had a beginning and an end. It was only a shadow or a copy of the real Narnia, which has always been here and always will be here. Just as our own world, England and all, is only a shadow or a copy of something in Aslan's real world. You need not mourn over Narnia, Lucy. All of the old Narnia that mattered, all the dear creatures have been drawn into the real Narnia through the door. And of course it is different, as different as a real thing is from a shadow or as waking life is from a dream. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried. And hear this, 
I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we loved the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little like this. The reason why we love this world, sometimes love this world, is because sometimes it looks a little like heaven. And so for those of us who are in Christ, this allows us to pass through this shadow land with a hope that the world does not have. Like a lottery winner who has the choice between a lump sum now or significantly more if they stretch it out, we know that there is a huge payoff coming at the end, even if this life does not go the way we wanted. When we do not get the job that we thought we should have, when we don't live in the house that we thought we wanted, when we don't have the family that we thought we wanted, when the finances don't add up, when relationships fall apart, when the diagnosis is cancer, when we have to bury a mother or a father or a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter, we do not grieve as the world grieves. We grieve with hope because we know that this is just a shadow land. Where we sit today sits between two circles that overlap. We have a little bit of heaven and we have a little bit of hell right here on earth. For those who are in Christ, and this is an amazing, this is an amazing thought, for those who are in Christ, this is the closest to hell you will ever get. But for those who are not in Christ, this is the closest to heaven you will ever get. And so we know why the world says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That is either a glorious or a terrifying thought. As the, the praise team comes, uh, I'll finish with this. We have, uh, over the last few months, uh, watched as friends of ours traveled uh, a road of, of fighting a battle with cancer. And uh, they're about our age. They have four kids, just like we do, about our kids' ages. They have tried every treatment, every option. They have seen every doctor. They have prayed a million times, as well as hundreds of other people have prayed a million times for healing, but it hasn't come. Uh, and we found out just this week as I'm writing this message that uh, he's been moved to hospice care. Uh, through it all, their faith has not wavered a millimeter. They have been in hell for the last three months, really the last 18 months. What kind of God does that? What kind of loving God allows someone in their early 40s with four young kids to suffer like that? the kind of God who is preparing a new heaven and a new earth where there will no longer be sickness or death or sadness. The kind of God who is raising us up to new bodies, more alive than we could ever imagine. The kind of God who is preparing a place where we will meet the loved ones who have gone before us. We will live in communion with them forever. And more importantly, we will live in communion with him forever. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, 
because Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God, though he was the only one who did not deserve that wrath. For those who are covered by his blood, we do not grieve as the world grieves, but we grieve with hope because we know that eternity is going to be awesome. The fog will clear and you will reach the shore. You are almost there. You can make it. And you will be able to say, I have come home at last. This is my true home. This is the place I have been looking for all my life, though I didn't know it until now. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are preparing a place for us who are in you and that this is not the place we're supposed to find satisfaction because so many of us have tried and have found that we can't get it. I pray that you're, uh, the truth of what you are doing, what you are preparing for us would sink deep into our hearts this morning. I pray that we would leave this place excited and hopeful because we know where we're going. I pray, God, if there, there's anyone here today who doesn't know or who is wrestling with this, that you would stir in their hearts to do business with you and decide this day whom they will serve. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for the promise of eternity in your presence where all of our longing and desire will be fulfilled. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Here's a look at what's going on this week at Abundant Life. It's time for our 30th anniversary celebrating God's faithfulness to ALCF and three years of pastoral leadership by Pastor Brian Loritz. This special event takes place on Sunday, March 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. in the sanctuary and features guest speaker Bishop Ulmer and the choir from Faithful Central Bible Church in Los Angeles, as well as our annual Servant Leader Award. If you're ready to make a positive impact on your community, we've got two great events for you. The Real Options 5K Walk for Life is a life-affirming annual event that fosters a culture of life, benefiting thousands of mothers, families, and students. The event takes place on Saturday, March 9th at 8.30 a.m. at the Marshall Cottle Park in San Jose, and you can sign up to volunteer or sponsor a participant after service or at friendsofrealoptions.net. ALCF is partnering with Westgate Church to bring you Beautiful Day, a wonderful opportunity to serve people in need throughout the Santa Clara County through acts of kindness and compassion. The event takes place on March 23rd in various locations throughout the county, and you can sign up after service in the lobby on either March 3rd or March 10th. Want to be a better parent or spouse? If so, we've got two can't-miss events for you. The next Art of Parenting movie night features Like Arrows, which casts a powerful vision for anyone in a parental role, married or single, reminding us that nothing is more important for any family than to have God and His Word directing our lives. This event takes place on Saturday, February 16th from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. Don't miss God's plan for marriage, a marriage enrichment workshop in which the Harveys will lay a foundation for the big picture of marriage. This event takes place on Sunday, February 17th from 12 to 2 p.m. Child care is available for both of these events with advanced registration. If you're ready to up your food game, be sure to join us for a nutrition education cooking demo. 
you'll learn how to develop healthy eating habits, cook healthy meals, and modify recipes to ensure you're eating right. This event takes place on Sunday, February 24th from 11.30 to 1.30 p.m. Here's the lineup for Equipment Center classes beginning in March. If you're looking to get the most out of your Bible studies, sign up for How to Read and Study the Bible, taught by Jason Johnson. The classes take place on Sundays starting March 3rd through April 7th from 12 to 1.30 p.m. In the New and Better Promises class, taught by elders Arshel Founet and Keith Richardson, we'll unpack the Lord's commitments and assurances to us as believers in Jesus Christ. The classes take place on Sundays starting March 10th through May 5th from 12 to 1.30 p.m. There are over 2,300 references to money in the Bible, but to better understand God's financial plan for our lives, join us for Managing Our Finances God's Way. The Financial Stewardship Team will guide you through an informative DVD series and share personal experiences about creating a spending plan, investing, the meaning of debt, and planning ahead using free, easy-to-use online tools. The classes take place on Sundays starting March 17th through April 14th from 12 to 1.30 p.m. Child care is available for all three of these classes with advanced registration. To sign up for any of these upcoming events, go to alcf.net slash signups or check out the ALCF app. And remember, Abundant Life exists to make a better you for a better world.